vessels, veiled in white shrouds like novitiates. Beyond here, the staircase continues to rise through the centre of the house, up to the place where Chanel watched her fashion shows unfold, hidden from the audience below. Yet seeing everything beneath her, perched on the fifth step from the top of the spiralling stairs, pause for a moment on the staircase, and it gives you the strangest sensation. The mirrors are simultaneously reflecting from all angles. There is no escape from the sight of your body bisected, slivers of face and limbs, so you must watch yourself as you climb the flight to the second floor, to the unmarked mirrored double doors that lead into Mademoiselle Chanel's private apartment. Open the door, and it is as if she has never left the building, for here is her sanctuary polished and preserved, decades after her death on the 10th of January 1971. You might call it a mausoleum, yet it feels too alive for that, for these rooms are still filled with her presence, along with her possessions. On the other side of the door is an entrance hall, the walls lined with early 18th century coromandel screens, their dark red lacquer patterned with a mysterious oriental landscape where women in kimonos fly on the back of white birds and men are carried by fishes and turtles. There are pale mountains and wraiths of clouds and lakes on the screens, waterfalls and temples and precipices, a world beyond the walls of this Parisian apartment, and the sound of the city is silenced by the softness of thick beige carpet, the view concealed by the mirrors that reflect the Chinese screens. The hall seems hermetically sealed, the way out hidden by mirrors, but two life-size Venetian blackamoors gesture to go on, past a pair of reindeer that stand to attention on either side of a bunch of gilded wheat in a silver vase. The statues point into the salon, but the reflection of their painted eyes and pointing hands is multiplied in a series of mirrored images, appending all sense of direction, skewing perspective within these looking-glass walls. Another door leads from the hall to the dining room, where Chanel entertained guests, Six beige suede upholstered chairs at a walnut table. Two lions on the tabletop. Two gilt and crystal-encrusted mirrors in the alcoves. The ceiling curved like the vaulting of a Romanesque church. A smaller sitting room is lined with more antique Chinese screens, watched over by a stone statue of the Madonna and child. His eyes at the door, hers cast down to the ground. But there is no bedroom in the apartment, for Mademoiselle slept across the street, on the top floor of the Ritz, with a view over the rooftops of Rue Cambon. Her hotel room was unadorned. White cotton sheets, white walls, austere like the convent orphanage where she was educated. But her apartment remains as ornate as it was in her lifetime. The walls are lined in gold fabric, not that much can be seen of them, for they are covered with books and screens and mirrors, conserved like the inside of a holy sanctum or the final resting place of an ancient Egyptian queen. If the mirrored staircase is the backbone of the house of Chanel, then Mademoiselle's salon, the largest of the three main rooms in her apartment, is its hidden heart. The outside world is not entirely excluded, for there are windows reaching from floor to ceiling, overlooking Rue Cambon to the school on the other side of the street, where children still study in the first-floor classroom, just as they did when Mademoiselle Chanel lived there. But did she look out of the window at them, or keep her eyes fixed on the treasures within these walls? There are yet more Chinese screens hiding the doors. Chanel hated the sight of doors, 
she said, for they reminded her of those who had already left, and those who would leave her again. Look closer, and you could lose yourself within their intricacies, drawn into a landscape of boats and bridges, of graceful women kneeling beside the water, a place where serpents and dragons fly through the air, above unicorns and elephants, where the trees grow leaves like fine white lace, and camellias are perpetually in blossom. You could spend days in this room and never want to leave, such is the wealth of its riches. Two walls are lined with leather-bound books, antique editions of Plutarch, Euripides and Homer, the memoirs of Casanova and the essays of Montaigne, the confessions of St. Augustine and the dialogues of Plato, the complete works of Maupassant and Molière in French, Shelley and Shakespeare in English, and two volumes of a weighty holy Bible.